There had been abuse in my family, but it was mostly musical in nature. Lover's Lament crap. I want something peppy, something happy, something up-tempo. I want something snappy. The bands might not be real, but the music certainly is. From the Banana Splits to Dewey Cox, we'll talk today about great fictional artists. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. We'll review the latest record from another fictional group, Gorillaz, and we've got the story behind the 70s cultural phenomenon, Convoy. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and Greg, all this hour we are going to talk about great fictional bands, bands that didn't really exist as bands in the real world, uh, were invented for a particular project or a film, and then some of them did become real bands, like this one. Let's start off by talking about the new album from Gorillaz. We got the power to be loving each other no matter what happens. We got the power to do that. We're not a proof of the same, okay? We got the power to be That is Gorillaz with a new track called We Got the Power from their fifth studio album, Humans. It uh, has uh, guest vocalists on it, including Noel Gallagher from Oasis and uh, Jenny Beth from Savages. Of course, Gorillaz is Damon Albarn's project, uh, the lead singer of Blur, the great Brit pop band of the 90s, collaborating with cartoonist Jamie Hewlett, the creator of the Tank Girl comic book, uh, they came together and said, okay, you know, we're, we're, we're sick and tired of this MTV stuff. We're, yeah. you know, we're just going to create this cartoon band and sort of poke fun, uh, provide a commentary on what we see as the uh, cartoonization of, of, of rock and roll. And I'm going to never forget that first uh, Gorillaz tour. They toured behind a screen with <laughs> yeah. just images of their characters. Yeah, the whole idea wasn't, was that it wasn't going to be a real band. It eventually evolved in that direction, however. They have sold multi-millions of records across the world. Albarn has started collaborating not only with Hewlett, but with a multitude of artists from South America, Africa, Cuba, the United States, the U.K., People such as Mavis Staples, Grace Jones, the great Chicago house vocalist Jamie Principal, Vince Staples, the rapper, they're all on this record. Here's a track from it before we review it. It's the Grace Jones track. It's called Charger from Gorillaz on Sound Opinions. Cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-
That is Charger by Gorillaz with the great Grace Jones on vocals. Greg, it's great to see her back in the spotlight. The story uh, in interviews that Damon Albarn has been giving is that uh, he had this idea for a new Gorillaz album, and all of the collaborators he was bringing in, many uh, Chicago names on this record, uh, he gave them a fictional hypothesis uh, about two years ago and said, imagine a world uh, where Donald Trump is president. It seemed like a long shot at that time. What he's got here is this dystopian fantasy that some would say is now reality. It's a political uh, album. In the same way in the past, he has given us entire albums imagining a universe of garbage, Mm -hmm. an environmental future where there is uh, no environment left, basically. He is now giving us an album about politics where uh, uh, it's a dark vision indeed. That having been said, this is the most fun dark party album you're likely to hear since Gorilla's last album. Um, you know, some of these grooves are just just entrancing. Uh, there are a little uh, a little bit less pop smarts on this record. But I, you know, I'm second only to Brian Eno. I'm sorry, there goes the bell. I am just a, a huge Damon Albarn fan. There's very little he's ever done in his career with Blur, with his solo albums that I haven't loved. I think his ability to bring people together from all different uh, artistic genres and to somehow come out with a cohesive sound, maybe it's that, you know, they say Sgt. Pepper was the Beatles wanting to step out of being the Beatles and have the freedom to create under a different alias. I think, uh, you know, Albarn with Gorillaz does much better than Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. This is a buy-it record for me. Well, I don't think Gorillaz has ever made a record that to me was less than worth hearing at least uh, several dozen times. Uh, It's one of those groups that rewards attention. There's a lot of detail and there's a lot of brilliant cameos. It seems like Albarn understands what these artists can deliver and gets the best out of many of them. Um, in this album in particular, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the fact that he brought uh, this new artist, Benjamin Clementine, this English uh, composer, poet, multi-instrumentalist on board uh, for the track Hallelujah Money. I think that's yeah. a real uh, key track on this record. He's channeling a little bit of a, a certain president. And I've thought the best way to protect our tree is by building walls. Most like a unicorn. I also love the way that uh, that pairing of Mavis Staples and rapper Pusha T yeah. works on Let Me Out. Brilliant move on Albarn's part to uh, bring back Jamie Principal, one mm-hmm. of the great artists of uh, 80s Chicago on Sex Murder Party. Vince Staples does a great job on that song, Ascension. You were now tuned into the tomb of Jehovah. Play my tunes loud enough to shake the room. What's that hold up? Heard the world is in it soon. I assume that they told you they trying to dinosaur us. So now it's time to go up. Which sets the tone for the record. The sky's falling, baby. Yeah. And that's kind of the tone of the record. We're dancing on the ashes of what is uh, you know, coming to be one of, the, one of the great turning points in human history, it seems like. Um, I got to say, though, the, the We Got the Power to Be Loving Each Other track, uh, you know, with, even with Jenny Beth's guest vocals on it, uh, the, the duet between Damon Albarn and uh, Noel, Noel Gallagher, Gallagher yeah. does not work. No. Uh, Liam uh, Noel's uh, acerbic uh, brother compared it to that uh, Mick Jagger, uh, David <laughs> Bowie track, Dancing in the Streets yeah, of the yeah, 80s, yeah, yeah. and I don't think he's wrong. But I'm gonna, I, I will give this record a buy it rating.
Greg, reviewing Gorilla's latest uh, got us thinking about some of the other great fictional bands in rock history. Uh, you know, there have been other bands. Uh, we're we're going to try to stay away from the real obvious ones, Spinal Tap or the Ruddles. Um, uh, where are you going to go first with your first great fictional band? Well, when I was thinking about fictional bands, I'm thinking of ones with really long histories. I mean, Gorillas have already been around for 15 years, but I've got one that's like doubled that amount of time in in the music business. And (laughs) There's so many one-hit wonders. Flesh is in the pan. How about about the Muppets House Band, man? (laughs) Dr. Teeth in the Electric Mayhem. Yes! The performances on the actual Muppet Show are absolutely priceless. I mean, Animal's the greatest rock drummer of all time. absolutely. I mean, John Bonham's pretty good. Animal is a genius. (laughs) You combine Bonham with Keith Moon and then go go up to 11, as Spinal Tap would say, and that's Animal. They would do things like uh, they would take little bits of classical music because they would always have these... puppets that were uh, classical snobs, and they yeah. would be looking down on anything that had to do with youth culture. I believe you're thinking of the two critics yes. up in the box, yes. uh, uh, who we are dangerously coming close to resembling. These yeah, they, they would always have the black ties yes. on, and they, and they would be very, very condescending about the performances. And, uh, you know, so they would do things like Chopin's Polonaise and A-flat to appease the critics, but then, of course, just destroy them with these punk rock yeah. versions, animal yelling, Chopin! Yeah. Chopin! <laughs> Chopin! But the mayhem that the Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem created was was just marvelous. Um, the the performances were actually done uh, by Jack Parnell and his band. Um, it was an in-house band uh, in the UK where, where the show was initially shown, I guess. Um, and they, they did these marvelous performances. And then um, the, the puppeteers, Jim Henson, first and foremost among them, uh, would do the voices. Henson was the, um, was the leader. He was, he was Dr. Teeth, mm. who was loosely modeled after some combination of Elton John and Dr. John. You know, mm. who's got this mm. deep kind of growly New Orleans type of voice, you know. Shock- I am at how much you've thought about this. <laughs> well, it's an amazing, uh, you know, ass- assemblage of talent. What can I say? The greatest virtual band of all time, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. Here is Sweet Tooth Jam on Sound Opinions. All right, everybody, let's jam! 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 That is Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, the Muppet Show house band with Sweet Tooth Jam. Jim, <laughs> I dare you to top that. Uh, well, maybe later, but right now I'm going to play one of my favorites, uh, Sex Babam. All right? I loved Scott Pilgrim versus the World when that film came out in 2010. I had not uh, been familiar with the graphic novel. I went back and read it after the fact. I'm not, you know, I'm not the video game generation, man. It ended for me with Tetris. 
and maybe Pac-Man, okay? I'm just not a video game obsessive, but I think the way that Scott Pilgrim dealt with the levels of virtual reality as he tried to win the love of his life and had to fight all the evil ex-boyfriends and in between play in his band. The band is Sex Babam. Okay, let's start with Launchpad McQuack. Uh, that's not the actual title of this. Steven Stills on vocal uh, and, and guitar, Kim Pine uh, on, on drums, and Scott Pilgrim on bass. Um, the soundtrack for this film was incredible. We had uh, such an array of unlikely talent, Beechwood Sparks and Black Lips. There's T-Rex songs, but there's also Metric and the Rolling Stones, and all of the Sex Bob Om uh, tunes were written by Beck. All right. <laughs> They're all brilliant. I love all of the music in this movie. I especially love Beck channeling this thoroughly kind of mediocre, uh, you know, late teens band. There's nothing special about Sex Babam uh, except for the name, you know, which <laughs> comes from a combination of the Flipper song and the Tom Jones song and apparently references a Super Mario character that I don't know about. Uh, I'm going to play uh, my favorite song from that soundtrack and the Sex Bob Om canon, which is Garbage Truck, written by Beck on Sound Opinions. Sex Bob Om. I mean, that is just the hardest <laughs> name they say ever. From Scott Pilgrim versus the World. What do you, you got? You got another great virtual band. I don't know how great it is, but this is a real guilty pleasure of mine. I have always loved the movie Walk Hard: The Dewey Cox Story. Yes, two thousand seven movie starring John C. Riley. Riley's one of my favorite actors. And uh, channeling Dewey Cox, channeling Johnny Cash in this movie. Uh, it came out only a couple of years after that Cash biopic, Walk the Line, with Joaquin Phoenix. It was a fairly straightforward uh, attempt at uh, reconstructing a part of Johnny Cash's life. 
Um, what what uh, Walk Hard is trying to do is not only tell the Johnny Cash story, but really kind of a mini history of rock and roll. Yeah. Because he goes through all these eras. So Dewey uh, goes through from his Johnny Cash phase to his folk protest singer phase to his I'm a Brian Wilson, I'm a genius phase creating this record with, <laughs> with goats singing on it yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to yeah. uh, you know meeting the Beatles and the Maharishi and, and hanging out with the Beach Boys. And then he goes through his punk rock phase. And then later on, his music is ha- sampled by hip-hop artists, so he makes a big comeback. Um, what we see Dewey in, in the scene that I'm going to play a song from is in his pill-popping Johnny Cash Vegas-era Sinatra, Hollywood-era Elvis phase in the 60s, very decadent. Um, his career suddenly, after an initial uh, spark of hits, is, is starting to, to fall apart. But he's still writing music that is speaking to what he's going through in his life, and it's just hilarious. There's a track called Guilty as Charged, and I should point out that a number of the musicians that played on this record are really top-notch uh, studio pros in, in Los Angeles, uh, people like Joey Warrenker on drums, Greg Kirsten on keyboards mm. and, and, and guitar. Uh, so the, the music is top-notch. Uh, the songwriting is very good as well. Uh, there was a, a, a fellow by the name of Mike Viola of the Candy Butchers, the, the band The Candy Butchers, as well as Dan Byrne writing much of the music. Marshall Crenshaw contributed to the, to the songwriting. So they're, they're, they're basically recreating periods of rock history with these songs. And here is the decadent mid-60s phase of Dewey Cox in Guilty as Charged on Sound Opinions. May I approach the bench? I don't give a damn what anyone thinks I stay up all night and I smoke and I drink I'm a wanted man and I'm blowing town Don't waste your time trying to hunt me down The cops are saying I belong behind bars And I'm guilty I'm guilty as charged I ain't never lost a fight in my life I'll send you home crying to your fat and ugly wife If you don't believe me when I tell you this Let me introduce you to my rock heart If you're accusing me of living too hard Well, I'm guilty I'm guilty as charged. Guilty as charged from Walk Hard to Dewey Cox Story soundtrack from 2007 on Sound Opinions. After a break, we're going to have some more music from some of our favorite fictional bands. And later in the show, the story behind an unexpected worldwide hit from another fictional band. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis here with Greg Cott, and we are talking about our favorite fictional bands. What do I mean by that, Greg? I mean there's a band where everything about them has been made up. The origin story, who the members are, whether the members are even human, but there's real music. Uh, case in point, Gorillas. We opened the show by reviewing their new album. And my next pick, I was such a banana sp- Blitz fan growing up. It's absurd. In my childhood memory, this this dominated. Like like I was born, there was banana splits, and then eventually puberty. All right. <laughs> but but it only ran for 31 episodes from September 1968 to September 1970. The idea was Hanna Barbera, the animators behind, you know, the Flintstones and the Jetsons, wanted to do a combination uh, showcase uh, of animated shorts and live action. This this was, of course, the post-Beatles era of the monkeys and, and tie in this fictional rock band. They were not humans, I will have you know. Flegel, Bingo, Drooper, and Snork, the band members, were, were animals of one variety of another. The costumes were designed by another great twisted kids team, Sid and Marty Croft, behind the immortally psychedelic H.R. Puffin stuff. (laughs) So you have like the four most warped minds of children's television of the 60s and 70s coming together, the Croft brothers and Hanna-Barbera. And uh, the music was truly extraordinary. Uh, They would turn to great session musicians, as all of the fake bands did, Josie and the Pussycats or the Archies, right? Another great bubblegum band. Uh, But these were really great musicians. Al Cooper, the guy who played on Blonde on Blonde, wrote and sang a song for the Banana Splits. And, uh, you know, the Tra-La-La song, right? It's immortal. Their theme song. It's been covered by punk bands like the Dickies. There's a great version of it from the 90s alternative heyday with Material Issue playing the song and Liz Fair singing it. The song I'm going to play, Greg, is written by none other than the Round Mound of Sound, one of my all-time favorite artists, the great Barry White. Uh, He doesn't sing it. I think it's sung by this guy, Rick Lancelot, a studio musician who would go on to play with, of all people, Frank Zappa. Mm. That's how twisted these banana splits were. I mean, Barry White contributing a tune to the banana splits, music and life just don't get much better than that. I will have you know, I I was mugged when I was a uh, freshman in college, right? And I had just cashed two weeks uh, salary and a Christmas bonus, and I had all this cash. And I got got knocked down and a knife put in my back, and they took me. You know what I was upset about? Not losing the money in my wallet, (laughs) but my Banana Splits membership card that I had (laughs) since age five. Doing the banana split by the immortal banana splits. I also built the little model dune buggy. I wish I could find you that You were obsessive, again. man. I was a banana splits super <laughs> fan circa age five. 
Well, I'm glad to hear it. I'm going to talk, talk to you about super fandom and hip-hop. Uh, that is the movie CB4. Yeah. Uh, this came out in the early 90s. Uh, you know, rap, this, this is the golden era of hip-hop for a lot of people, or at least the tail end of it. I think late 80s, early 90s for a lot of people who came of age. That was a great, great period for hip-hop music. West Coast uh, gangster rap was ascendant. NWA had really uh, created a stir, uh, a nationwide stir uh, of, you know, oh, my God, what's happening? People didn't understand how this group could be so um, explicit in their lyrics and what they were talking about, uh, you know, uh, L.A. street life uh, in Compton, California. And at the same time, uh, people within the culture were looking at it and going, you know, these guys are just pulling your leg in some ways. You know, yeah. they're, they're reporting on what's going on in the street. But uh, writer Nelson George, who's, who's written many great books on music over the years, uh, helped script this movie, CB4, uh, with Chris Rock, the great comedian, uh, who was just emerging as a national presence around this time. And, and CB4 is, is basically a fictional hip-hop group uh, named after the Cell Block 4, the <laughs> prison block where this group was formed. And, and the group consists of, uh, of Chris Rock, Alan Payne, and Deezer D. And, and, you know, they've got these kind of common names, and they train transform themselves into MC Gusto, Stabmaster Arson, and Dead Mike. They're going to be this... Stabmaster Arson! They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna become this hip-hop group, and they're going to talk the meanest, you know, vilest stuff out there, and they're going to be laughing all the way to the bank. I mean, it's the yeah, whole idea yeah. of scamming the mainstream yeah. with how extreme you can be. So it, it's, a, it's very much a parody and a critique uh, of, of what was going on uh, in commercial... At the commercial end of hip-hop culture at the time. They're not actually doing the rapping. They they hired Hi-C and Daddy-O and Kumo cool D mm. to, to do the rapping, and, and they, they end up uh, doing several performances in the film, and, and there's a soundtrack created. There's some other artists on the soundtrack as well. But, it, you know, the stuff that uh, is credited to CB4 is very credible. And here's one of the songs that I actually can play on the radio. Um, it's their version of, of the Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight from CB4 on Sound Opinions. Now what you hear is not a test cause we're rapping to the beat and me, the groove and my friend are gonna try to move your feet. See, I am Albert Brown and I like to say hello to the black, to the white, the red and the brown, the purple and yellow but first I gotta bang bang the boogie to the boogie, say yup, jump the boogie to the bang bang boogie, let's rock you don't stop Rock the rhythm that'll make your body rock Well, so far you heard my voice And I brought two friends along The next of the C's is you Ripperdies So come on, E, sing that song Check it out, I'm the E-U-R-I-P-I-D-E-S And I'm F-L-Y You see, I go by the code of the doctor of the mix These reasons, I'll tell you why You see, I'm five foot ten. All the ladies say when When I dress to a T you see, I got more clothes than Muhammad Ali, and I dress so viciously. I got bodyguards, I got two big cars that definitely ain't the whack. I got a Lincoln Continental and a sunroof Cadillac. That so is Rapper's Delight, the uh, version as done by CB4 from the CB4 soundtrack on Sound Opinions. Great uh, virtual band. Jim, what do you got next? Uh, Greg, you know, I am not a huge fan of Christian speed metal, and I know absolutely nothing and could care even less about football, okay? Hmm. But I am going to uh, the fictional town of Dillon, Texas, and the TV series Friday Night Lights. 
I am a huge fan of Peter Berg, the uh, showrunner behind Friday Night Lights. I came to it uh, like right at the last season and have since binged on it several times. It's not really about football, high school football. It's about life and growing up and finding your identity. And of course, there's a rock band as part of it. I think Jesse Plemons is one of the great, I think he's the John C. Riley of a new <laughs> generation, okay? He's Landry. He's Landry, you know, he's playing football. He's not very good. He's playing music. He's not very good. Crucifix. Victorious is his band. You know what, Maddie? I think I think what he needs is to come and see my new band, Crucifictorious. Anyone? Broken spoke this Friday after the game. Doors open at 11. You got to get there early, though. It's going to be pretty packed. We have to go to that, don't we? Well, we don't go. I don't really think anyone else is going to be there, so... And the thing that's brilliant about them is, you know, they rehearse in the garage and everybody covers their ears and complains. And, and they, But they, they love what they're doing. You know, on the rare occasions over the course of the show when they get a gig, there are more people uh, tending bar and mopping the floor uh, than there are actually watching <laughs> Crucifictorious. So at certain times over the last couple of years, they have reunited and played live, uh, including South by Southwest. Um, I'm not playing this because this is good music. Uh, you, you'll soon hear that it is not. But but everybody who's ever been in a garage band has had a night or two like the ones uh, Crucifictorious consistently has in that <laughs> season where nobody's watching them. Maybe Tim Riggins is there and Riggins knows, oh man, this band is bad. Crucifictorious on Sound Opinions. Crucifictorious on Sound Opinions. Man, <laughs> that's the spirit of everybody who wants to do it, but really can't, but I'm, does it anyway. I'm telling you. Uh, we're having a little bit too much fun here, Jim. Yeah, but, this is uh, illegal. It th- should be. This is fun. Uh, the Big Lebowski is another movie where I have uh, immense amounts of fun every time I watch it. Coen brothers are genius. They are. The Coen brothers uh, creating this 1998 movie, Jeff Bridges as the title character, The Big Lebowski. Um, and and there, there's this very convoluted plot about a kidnapping and and ransom, and it, it's almost beside the point because it's really about these characters that are in the movie. And one of the fake kidnappers in the movie turns out to be this uh, former... German techno pop band Autobahn, mm-hmm. uh, named after one of our favorites, uh, Kraftwerk, one of their greatest songs. They are nihilists, Greg. Yes, nihilists. Th- there is a moment in the movie where uh, the Lebowski character is in Julianne Moore's uh, character's apartment, rifling through her records, and there's this Autobahn record, and he pulls it up, and it's basically this, the sleeve of Man Machine by yeah. Kraftwerk, and it's called Nagelbet, which translates as bed of nails. You know, uh, so they yeah, look yeah, like right. these. These uh, they're hardcore robot men from the from the seventies who have reinvented themselves as uh, you know criminals here yeah. in, in the nineties. One of them is Flea. Exactly, you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist happens to be a member of the fictional 
Autobahn in this movie. Uh, there's a confrontation in the parking lot where the John Goodman character is, is that don't worry, Donnie. He turns to Steve Buscemi. They're nihilists. They, yeah, yeah. You know, they're not going to hurt us. Uh, you know, and a fight breaks out. But meanwhile, while this this battle between the band and and the uh, the Big Lebowski's crew breaks out in this parking lot, this song plays. And apparently, it is the one. Autobahn song that was ever written. <laughs> um, Carter Burwell is is, a, is the actual songwriter here. He Burwell is is one of the Cohen brothers' closest collaborators. Here's Autobahn from the Big Lebowski and the track Wie Glauben on Sound Opinions. <laughs> from the fictional Autobahn in the Big Lebowski movie. By the way, the Nihilist, the band members, including Flea, and also the girlfriend of one of the band members is Amy Mann. She's Friend of Sound cameo. Opinions, yes. Amy Mann. Uh, Greg, I'm going to wrap it up. I got one more fictional band. It also comes from a movie. It comes from a movie, unlike the Big Lebowski, a movie that everybody with any taste whatsoever has seen. Uh, nobody, hardly anybody, has ever seen, ladies and gentlemen, the Fabulous Stains. It's a 1982 movie with a very young Diane Lane and Laura Dern as two of the three members of this all-female punk band. Um, it, it never got a wide release. Uh, in the earliest days of cable TV, it was a regular on uh, one of the early networks. And then since then, nobody's ever seen it, all right? <laughs> you know, it, it's come out in different issues over the years as a DVD or as VHS tape is how I first had it. Um, and it is a brilliant film. Not in the sense that it's any good. It's not, okay? But the idea of somebody in 1982 predicting the explosion of uh, female-fronted and all-female bands that would happen in the alternative era, groups like Hole and L7, uh, they're really ahead of their time. Now, their version of punk is rather one-dimensional. Their version of feminism, however, is not. Uh, in the expectations for these young women to be a voice of their generation, a voice of the women of their generation, uh, and, and to be role models, uh, it's just all very silly. Uh, and they know it. Um, you know, their motto is, you know, we are the fabulous stains and we don't put out. <laughs> wow. That is really ahead of its time. Now, the music is, uh, is, is, like I said, one dimensional punk, but it's got the energy. It certainly has the attitude. And uh, I love it for that. At one point, the principal or somebody is lecturing Diane Lane, who plays a character named Corinne Burns. And she just looks at him <laughs> with this complete and utter look of disdain and says, my name is Third Degree Burns. <laughs> that kind of sums up what the Fabulous Stains are about. This is a tune called Professionals by the Fabulous Stains on Sound Opinions.
Fabulous Stains, Professionals. The movie was directed by Lou Adler. Uh, really, try to look it up if you've uh, never heard of it. It's worth seeing. Now we want to hear from you. Who are your favorite fictional or virtual bands? Call and leave us a message on our hotline, 888-859-1800, or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. Coming up, the story of an unexpected global hit from one more fictional band. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim Deergatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and we're here in the studio with one of our producers, Evan Chung. Now, all this hour, we've been talking about great fictional or virtual bands. Uh, every character is invented, maybe for a movie, for a TV show, for a one-off art project. We've got one more artist who wasn't real, but still managed to have a number one hit in 1976. We want to talk with producer Evan Chung about this tale. Evan, welcome to Sound Opinions. I mean, usually you're on the other side of the glass, but today you're with us. Yeah, it's a lot nicer on this side. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's all relative. So who's this fictional artist you're going to tell us about? That would be C.W. McCall and his hit song, Convoy. It's this kind of novelty country song about a group of big rig truck drivers getting together to fight against the man on the highways. I says, calling all trucks, this here's the duck. We about to go a hunting bear. Cause we got great big But it's not only in America, but Canada, Ireland, New Zealand, Australia. Everywhere. It's a huge I mean, I hit remember, all over the world. I remember world. being 12 yeah. and thinking this was really cool. Yeah, it's this very strange song with a very strange story behind it. And as you look into the story more and more, you find these very surprising paths that it leads down to involving working class rebellion and conflict in the Middle East and the advertising industry and communications technology and hamburger buns and Christmas music. <laughs> who, who was C.W. McCall? Well, he doesn't actually exist. C.W. McCall is really the product of a couple of advertising guys in Omaha. Yeah, my name is Bill Freeze. Uh, I'm sometimes known as C.W. McCall. Bill Freeze was an ad executive working at a Nebraska agency in 1972 when he hired a young touring musician as a jingle writer. Hi there, I'm Chip Davis, composer of the C.W. McCall audio product. Job I have for you is write the uh, background music for these television commercials for a little-known bread product up in Sioux City, Iowa. 
called Old Home Bread. Old Home Bread was a brand of hamburger buns, rolls, donuts, you name it. Bill pitched them the idea of a folksy series of musical TV commercials that had an ongoing storyline, like a country music soap opera. It evolved around a couple of characters named C.W. and Mavis. Mavis was like a gum-chewing waitress at some little tiny cafe in Pisgah, Iowa, and C.W. was a truck driver and would stop in there, and they sort of had a little love affair going on. Now, we've been every place between here and South Sioux, and we've seen us a truck stop and waitress, too, but this gal's built like a burlap bag full of bobcats. She's got it together. Chip composed the music while Bill wrote these talking blues lyrics and voiced the C.W. character himself. The commercials aired in just a handful of states, Minnesota, Iowa, Kansas, etc., But as each new spot aired and the romance plot picked up, the campaign became a local phenomenon. Fan clubs sprung up, CW fan clubs and Mavis fan club. (laughs) It was just unreal. The ads became so popular that they actually had to put listings in the TV guide as to when the spots were coming on. We struck something there, kind of down-home reality people identified with these characters. Bill and Chip decided to release the music from the bread commercials as an actual single. They recorded it at Chip's studio, credited the song to the C.W. McCall character, and put it out locally under the title, The Old Home Filler Up and Keep on a Truckin' Cafe. It never closes. We put that out and within a matter of just weeks, it started getting so much jukebox play and all that. And we were, by the way, that was one of my very first ad campaigns. I got all the guys from the recording studio, got them a bunch of quarters, and we'd all go out on like a Friday night, run around and plug the jukeboxes and all the bars in Omaha and hit five plays of the same song and then hit the road and go to the next bar. (laughs) That marketing campaign apparently worked because it sold 30,000 copies in the Midwest, prompting MGM Records to release it to a national audience. Doggone if it didn't get in on the country charts, the billboard charts, number 13 or something like that. Wow! That gave Bill and Chip the opportunity to record an entire album under the C.W. McCall name of songs about truck driving. But while C.W. McCall, the character, was a truck driver, neither of the songwriters had any experience themselves. Of course, I was not a truck driver, but I am a writer and I write about trucks. (laughs) And at that time, truck driving offered them plenty to write about because truckers were key figures in the oil crisis that was taking over the country in the 70s. Here's basically what happened. In October 1973, war broke out between Israel and a coalition of Arab countries. From dawn this morning, the Israeli and Syrian armies have been slugging it out here high up on the Golan Mountains. The U.S. provided military support to Israel, which angered the Arab nations. To retaliate against the U.S., the Arab countries severely cut back on their oil exports. They will reduce oil production by 5% a month until the Israelis withdraw from occupied territories. If the Arab countries keep that pledge, it would reduce their production by almost 50% in one year. The oil embargo made gas supplies in the U.S. go way down, and gas prices go way up, almost doubling. Drivers would wait in four- or five-hour lines just to get a few gallons, often running out of gas while in the line. And a lot of Americans saw this as evidence that the country was coming undone. And you have to understand the context of this is 
Americans living in this world where cars were like living rooms on wheels. That's Meg Jacobs. She's a professor of history at Princeton and the author of a recent book about the oil crisis called Panic at the Pump. The early 70s is when cars are the biggest and least fuel efficient that they become because there's a sense that we don't have to worry about gas. So it's a fundamental shock to our self-perception. Gas was rationed and regulated. Johnny Cash was enlisted to urge Americans to drive less. But until the shortage eases, it's up to all of us to make what there is go further. There's a shortage of energy, but not of the American spirit. But most infamously, to conserve oil, President Nixon signed a law that lowered the speed limit on all national highways to 55 miles per hour. That angered millions of American drivers for years, notably Sammy Hagar. So that's a very real infringement as Americans conceive of their rights to cheap oil and all the driving they want to do. That's a very real infringement on that sense of who they are. And it was truck drivers who felt the effect of the speed limit law the most, particularly the independent ones who didn't work for big companies or belong to the union. They had to pay more for the diesel when they fueled up. There was less of it available, and they now had to abide by a 55-mile-per-hour speed limit. And this pushed them really over the edge. So these truck drivers came up with ways to get around the law, aided by a new tool, the Citizens Ban Radio. As many listeners probably know, Citizens Band radios, or CBs, are walkie-talkie-like devices that allow you to converse with other people over certain radio frequencies. And they're small enough to fit in the cab of a truck, so truckers could talk with each other while on the go. Oh, it's clean and green all the way back to that uh, Route 16. Truckers constructed a whole culture around CD radios. And that caught the attention of Bill Fries and Chip Davis, the C.W. McCall musicians. Bill had gotten a CB and had it in his Jeep, and he'd, he'd tell me, he'd call me up and go, you ought to hear this, it sounds like a war going on. They're using all these unique names, they call them handles. Handles, just like in their modern incarnation on Twitter, are unique nicknames that truckers would adopt to identify themselves by on the radio. My handle was Music Man. <laughs> and like on Twitter and in chat room culture in the recent past, Truckers developed an entire CB-specific language. Breaker, breaker there, one nine. This here's a music man calling for the rubber duck. Over. Everybody said 10-4 instead of yes. <laughs> Speaking in this code, truckers used CB radios to coordinate resistance to that hated 55-mile-an-hour speed limit. They would warn each other over the airwaves of upcoming speed traps. Okay, you've got two smokies parked. But they also use CB radios to form tightly packed blocks of trucks known as convoys. A trucker would get on the radio and say to all the other nearby trucks, hey, let's all drive together as a pack. Suddenly, the truckers had strength in numbers. As a group, they could drive as fast as possible. The trucks on the inside of the convoy were completely shielded, and there was very little the cops could do. As the oil crisis went on, truckers took this convoy concept to a national level. The truckers start to warn, if you don't do something to sort of alleviate our situation, if you don't repeal the 55-mile-per-hour speed limit, roll back prices at the pump, we're going to shut the country down. We're going to bring the country to its knees. An impromptu trucker uprising began on December 4, 1973, when a fed-up truck driver parked his rig in protest in the middle of the interstate in Pennsylvania. 
Word of his rebellion spread to other truckers across the country via the CB channels. And before long, you had a nationwide convoy of parked trucks with 1,800 rigs blocking a New Jersey bridge, more than 100 miles of the Ohio Turnpike shut down, and simultaneous shutdowns in Tennessee, Arkansas, Chicago, and beyond. For one day, you had a completely spontaneous nationwide protest that only could have happened using CB radios, and it led to a longer, more devastating trucker strike the next month. But some truckers weren't willing to give up a paycheck and stop driving, and the truckers who were on strike retaliated against them. By literally lining up on the side of the road and sniping at truckers who were still on the move, by littering the highways with nails, these became quite violent episodes requiring that governors call out the National Guard in various states. To be clear, that's people literally shooting at moving trucks. A bomb was put in a tractor cab in Arkansas. One trucker died when a brick was dropped into his windshield from an overpass. But surprisingly, the violence didn't turn public opinion against the truckers. They tapped into the frustration that millions and millions of Americans were experiencing already on the gas lines. The public viewed truckers as romantic modern cowboy figures, bravely standing up for their own rights. And that sentiment left an opening for a song about truckers banding together to stick it to the man to become a hit. And that, of course, is where Convoy comes in. Bill is just fascinated by it as to this big movement out there in the road. We wanted to do a song that was kind of reporting on this. So Bill Fries took all the lingo he'd picked up listening to the CB channels and wrote the lyrics to a story song about a trucker with the handle Rubber Duck who picks up more and more trucks via the CB radio to form a giant convoy stretching from coast to coast, pursued by helicopters and the National Guard. I said to Chip, um, we got to make this sound really military-like. we got to have some horns, French horns, <laughs> trumpets, and a chorus, and uh, make a real production number out of this. Uh, Breaker 1-9, this here's a rubber duck. you got a copy on me, big fan, come on. Uh, yeah, 10-4, Big Ben, for sure, for sure. By golly, it's clean, clear to Flagtown, come on. Yeah, it's a big 10-4 there, Big Ben. Yeah, we definitely got the front door, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive, looks like we got us a convoy. As soon as the DJs around the country played this thing, the switchboards lit up and everybody wanted to hear it again. The success of Convoy went way beyond a single song. It kicked off a whole CB radio craze. Sales of CB radios skyrocketed, and not just to truckers, but to the general public, who were intrigued by the song and by the lingo it used. By 1979, about half of the cars and trucks on the nation's highways will be equipped with CB units. Four to 500,000 new radios were sold each month in the year after Convoy came out, including a C.W. McCall signature model. Dozens of copycat songs about CB radios were released, and Hollywood put out a slew of CB-inspired movies and TV shows, including a film version of Convoy, directed by Sam Peckinpah. Yeah, nothing but a two-bit, lying, cheating, law-breaking trucker! What the hell are you? So what happened to the musicians behind Convoy after that big success? After recording six albums as the C.W. McCall character in the 70s, Bill Fries, the ad exec turned lyricist and vocalist, grew tired of it all. So he quit both the advertising and music business. People in the business were just amazed. Well, why don't you take this another step, you know, make another well, number one record? So I'm not interested in that. 
Instead, Bill moved to Uray, Colorado and served three terms as the town's mayor. As for Chip Davis, the composer, he was able to quit his day job as a jingle writer and use his C.W. McCall royalty money to fund a musical endeavor of his own. I had another project going on simultaneously called Mannheim Steamroller. Yes, that's right. Chip Davis is the same Chip Davis who's the mastermind behind Mannheim Steamroller, the classical rock hybrid new age band best known for its mega-selling Christmas albums. In fact, the C.W. McCall band and Mannheim Steamroller were the same people. We used to wear blue jeans with tails coats for the Mannheim Steamroller part, and then we'd take off the tails coats and put on a blue jean jacket, and then we were a country band. And we don't think the audience ever caught on that it was the same guys. The craziness of the CB radio fad ended up petering out by the early 80s, and the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit law was ultimately repealed in 1995. But that's how we get from local bread commercials to the Middle East to an international number one single to a cultural phenomenon to Mannheim Steamroller, all starting with a couple of advertising guys in Omaha who, by the way, never really liked country music. At one point in time, I made a statement. I said, there's two things I'll probably never do in my life. One is live in Nebraska, and one is write country music. And the next thing I knew, I was living in Nebraska writing country music. It was kind of really crazy. Well, we rolled up Interstate 44 like a rocket sled on rails. We tore up all of our swindle sheets and left them setting on the scales. By the time we hit that shy town, them bears was getting smart. That is our producer Evan Chung talking about the fictional artist C.W. McCall and the song Convoy. That, that is a hell of a tale. Thank you for telling it. Well, thank you, guys. Greg, what's on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have a visit from our friend uh, Damon Krakowski, formerly of Galaxy 500, and he says we shouldn't lose touch with the power of analog. We're going to explore that. Sound Opinions is produced by Brendan Banaszak, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and Iona Contreras. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. I'm calling on the hotline for your love. New messages. Hey guys, it's Mark Doyle in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, just had a revelation as I was driving down the highway in regard to your uh, guitar riffs uh, program. The uh, Batman theme is a song that is almost 100% guitar riff, and it is a an awesome guitar riff, uh, especially when performed by The Jam on their 1977 album, In the City. It's only about a minute and a half, but in that minute and a half, you can feel yourself accelerating uh, to dangerous so that's not to have it on repeat. Thank you. Hey, Jim and Greg. This is Ryan from Rhode Island. In response to your riff show that I just heard, uh, I think one of my favorites always has to be um, Run DMC. Uh, as heavy riffs in a lot of their songs as anything done by any of the hair metal bands in the 80s. Rockbox, King of Rock, Raising Hell. But in particular, the song Tougher Than Leather off the album of the same name was one of the heaviest funkiest, coolest-sounding riffs in the 80s period, and that means going outside rap and rock and funk and whatever else. 
riff had a lot more in common with an Isaac Hayes or an Eddie Hazel riff, more so than it did with any of the Led Zeppelin riffs and ACDC riffs that guys like the Beastie Boys were using. Yeah, check that one out. That is one of the heaviest, heaviest riffs of the 80s. Thank you. Hi there, my name is Tamara and I live in Austin, Texas and I love this evening's show. Uh, It was Nico and the Velvet Underground um, dissected and that is just an album that is so, so dear to me. You know, the the thing about it is that it highlights artists playing music. So you put uh, instruments in artists' hands and that's what you're going to get, something that beautiful. But it also, I think, um, you know, it highlights what happens when artists work in a collaborative nature. And I can go on and on. Thank you. Hi, this is Robert. I'm calling from Chicago, Illinois. I'm 26 years old. I first heard the Velvet Underground when I was 25. And I think I adopted the coolest stance I've ever felt in my life. I mean, that record just feels like it fits into the artful corners of your life. Everything about it just makes you feel present and cool and a little bit distant from the world that you're in and able to look at it with just the slightest bit of cynicism and snark, but the coolest bit of appreciation for it, too. Like, ain't it grand? Ain't it just chill? I love everything about it. I definitely discovered it way too late, but man, do I appreciate that I did. You guys rock. Later. Hello, my name's Dan from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm just calling to uh, challenge a little bit the Lester Bangs assertion that the Velvet Underground and Nico record uh, influenced or resulted in all of modern music that followed it. Um, I just think that's a bit of hyperbole. Not that it is not a great record and an important historical document in punk and noise oriented art rock music but i just wanted to challenge that assertion a little bit there's a big 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 world of music out there that doesn't have any bit of um, velvet underground influence in it in my opinion thanks no more messages to share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.